Five, four, three, two, one. This is flashback. Now, here comes the music. Something more befitting a man of your education. Get the situation under control, gentlemen. And now, from an undisclosed location, for good reason, it's the Midlife Crisis Show, starring Elliot Kleiner and Peter Applebaum, recorded live and unscripted, but then carefully edited. Talking about fat, fabulous and funny, one of my horrible experiences over the last few weeks, I have a client with whom we have regular video conferences and we're talking with officers around Australia, different people around Australia and part of that you've got this terrible, it's like a, a Triffid, a little camera in the room and it just, it follows you. It's like, it's, it's just cruel. It just follows you no matter where you are. Anyway, we had this long conference the other week and I was attentively focused and thinking and, and being professional and, and wondering what the hell I was going to say to sound intelligent. And I just looked in the television because there were two television screens there. One of the television screens showed the different people we were speaking to in various offices. The other television screen, of course, showed us in the room. And I was sitting there and, as I say, being very professional, I looked and it's like, suck your tummy in, Peter, you're looking fat. And I did. And I had to laugh at myself in the middle of this very important business meeting thinking, here I am being completely vain and ridiculous, but I did it anyway. Welcome to the Midlife Crisis Show. We love our sponsors. We should mention our sponsors. We should mention our sponsors because they always mention us. And who are our sponsors this week? Our sponsors this week, for a change, Tick Yes. Interactive Investor. Quick Print Balloons. And Prom Night Events. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Hi, Wayne. How are you going? I'm going good, mate. Listen, I understand you had uh, one of these sort of what some people would call a fairly extreme procedure, which is known as a gastric sleeve. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? Well, what happened was I was struggling with my weight up and down, tried every diet in the book, uh, usually went okay for a while and then we reverted always back to what we're used to doing and basically eating too much. So was that was that actually your problem too? Is it like Because I've got exactly the same thing. It's just a discipline problem. I think it's we like to eat with our eyes rather than we should be eating to live, not living to eat. Well, I think it's all three of us have had that issue over the years. Yeah, it could be. At what point, Wayne, did you decide that that was enough? You just you couldn't do it anymore. You have to get some surgical intervention. Basically, I was falling asleep at my desk at four o'clock in the afternoon, getting tired, not sleeping properly. I was on a CPAP machine, and that wasn't even working. So that's a sleep apnea. Here we go. Sleep apnea machine. Yeah, sleep right. apnea machine. Right. Um, and what it comes down to is that it's all due to weight, opening up of the throat so that you can actually breathe properly and the two are tied in together so a lot of people that are overweight even a little bit they find it hard to breathe and they suffer from sleep apnea see i've heard so i've heard that, about this before i've heard a, i've got a couple of friends who have uh, who have had to go for the cpap machine and also a couple of friends that have had these gastric uh bypasses or gastric sleeve procedures which are quite extreme and i understand that yeah. the, the doctors aren't i mean they're fairly reluctant to go to those kind of measures until you've sort of proven that you've been through a few things and i think 
it's a it's a fair indication that if you're already on a CPAP machine, there's a pretty good chance that the doctors have already sort of uh, slated you for some kind of intervention at some point anyway. Yeah, what it comes down to is, in my case, they interviewed me. They actually spoke with me and my wife, Jackie, together. They took you through the processes, tell you what... There are basically three procedures that you can undertake. One is the, uh, the gastric band, which uh, is removable, and they're not having a lot of success with that. Then there's the gastric sleeve, which is the procedure that I ended up having. And then there's another third one, which is really extreme, which is a gastric bypass, where they actually pick up the outlet pipe of your stomach and raise it so that the level is higher up and it's able to not hold as much in your stomach as what it normally would be. So we decided after exploring all three with a nutritionist and a psychologist that the gastric sleeve was the best issue, but in saying that, it's not reversible. So basically, they remove uh, a major portion of your stomach and they just throw it into the bin and pretty much, well, straight after that, you're eating less. Isn't one of the issues with with weight gain that it becomes a, as you said before, Wayne, a habit rather than you eat because that's what you're used to doing and that's what your your brain wants you to do as opposed to what your body needs you to do 100 percent. we we think we're hungry but we're not and what this does is it feeds you less you have to follow uh, a bit of a program as well straight after the surgery so i mean obviously you need to take care of the all the sutures and the stomach has been tampered with and rearranged a little bit. Look, I know we were talking uh, on, on uh, you mentioned just in passing that there was a fair portion of this that's attributed to nutrition and there was actually a nutritionist involved in the process of uh, preparing you for this surgery. Yes, there was. And I think that's that's a really valid point. And we, we're going to be talking to uh, Lisa Pottock, who's a professional nutritionist, about this very thing because there seems to be several different opinions or, or several camps. There are some people who believe that weight loss and weight control is purely nutritional. Some believe it's purely in terms of the volume that you eat. Some believe that it's a reasonable 50-50 measure between your intake and your exercise. So we're going to explore all of these sorts of things. But from your perspective, even when there was surgery involved, there was a lot of emphasis put on the nutritional aspect of how you were going to approach this problem. Yes, there was. And basically, it came down to protein because some people have suffered loss of hair, would you believe? That's next week's episode, Yeah, di- different Tune episode. <laughs> oh, good. Are we tackling baldness? Because I did not have that problem. No, we're it's go- called <laughs> hair. Is it overrated? Oh, yeah, I reckon it is. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about hair, whether it's wanted or unwanted in various locations. That's but right. that, that's another episode. However... What I'm also interested in, I know the listeners will be also, I mean, there's there's the problems that are associated with having weight, gaining weight, losing weight, controlling weight, but the real end game for all this has got to be lifestyle. Now, you were a, already a sort of a, a happy-go-lucky, active kind of fellow before you had this procedure at a time when you were, by your own confession, struggling with your weight, but what do you feel are the lifestyle enjoyment balance changes that have occurred since this have things improved for you in terms of your overall happiness with your life well before i was a jolly fellow 
now I'm a happy guy. Wow. Now that's actually a really, that's a solid statement. Mm. I mean, there's a lot more in there than just at face value. Give us a little explanation on that. Well, I've got my life back. I'm now in control of how I do things and when I do them. I can relatively do things with a huge smile on my face, knowing that I'm not going to collapse at four o'clock in the afternoon on my desk with dribble hanging out my mouth and not being able to carry on with the workload that I need to attain. And it's as simple as that. I'm getting good sleep, quality sleep, apart from the normal worries of everyday living, of course. But in general, I'm in control of my body at the moment and it's given me a new lease on life. And it's now been, I think, five years since I've had this procedure done and I I know in myself I'm a new person. I think you have to be congratulated for being proactive and actually doing something. I think we both know a a guy who died last year at 56 who was morbidly obese and I still and he was the loveliest guy and I'm still angry at him for not having done what you did because I'm sure had yep. he done so he'd still be alive yep I do know that person you're right you never know what someone's thinking well that's you know? right that's right I was actually thinking that yesterday when I, I guess preparing for this show and I'm thinking why on earth didn't he do this he'd still be alive yep again you never know yep there's always two sides for every story. That's true. But it's like the title of this sh- of this episode is Fat, Fabulous and Funny. You've always been a funny guy, Wayne, but now, and you're not fat, but you're certainly fabulous by the sounds of things. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, I can certainly, certainly highly recommend looking into any one of these procedures because at the end of the day, you get your life back and there's nothing, nothing more important than that. Well, it sounds like you've empowered yourself. That is awesome. I'm so happy for you. On that note. I'm out of here. Love from Bella Vista. Bye, Wayne. See ya. Are you happy? Of course I'm no happy. Look at me. I'm a big, fat slob. I've got bigger titties than you do. I've got more chins than a Chinese phone book. I've not seen my willy in two years, which is long enough to declare legally dead. I can't stop eating. I eat because I'm unhappy. And I'm unhappy because I eat. It's a vicious cycle. If you'll excuse me, there's someone I have to get in touch with and forgive. Myself. Elliot, I've got the music in me, but that's not going to help the listeners. So let's go to a song. Oh, my God. 
a digital marketing program, like send out emails to prospects, create content for social media, or even develop a mobile app, you need Tick Yes. Email us at info at tickyes.com or go to our website at www.tickyes.com to see what we've done for other clients. Maybe we can help you to achieve the same sorts of results. That's tickyes.com. This is something that I thought I did alone. Something that I was the only person on earth that did. And it'll be a great relief for me to know. And please tell me, ring in, send me messages on Facebook if this was ever you. I'm 50 years old. I have no chance of ever having a social engagement with a 21-year-old girl. It's just never going to happen. And that is the way of things. Yet, if I'm walking along the street and there will be a gaggle of young females walking in the opposite direction, before I have even had time to think about it, I will immediately pull my guts in instinctively. It's a reflex action. I don't know why. I don't know what result it would ever come to. I don't know why anybody at that age would even be looking at me. But for some reason, I feel this compelling need as a male to lift all of the fat from my stomach up into my chest to make it look like I'm some kind of virile superhero shape. And and uh, it never has done anything for me. It's never worked. I've never had anybody stop and give me their phone number. Not that it would do me any good if the if that ever happened why do i do this because you are a ridiculous middle-aged man like the rest of us now can i just go, go back to one of the things you said you, you said you pulled your guts in my P- guts plural Most i people, have multiple guts well that's just goes to another problem but again that can be another episode but it's like i actually have a similar experience and that is when uh, when I have photos taken lately, I suck my gut in and I've started to look like a baboon. You've only got one gut. I've only got one gut. Unlike yourself. I've got multiple. You're morbidly gutted. It's just one. It's one gutmanship. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this Facebook thing, every photograph I have of Facebook lately, it shows me looking like a baboon with this huge chest, this concave stomach. And it's like, it's just not a good look. So people, I'm just going to let it all hang out and it's going to be blah. <laughs> 
then you've got to answer to your clothes. Uh, They're unrelenting and they don't give in. And the problem I have with my clothes, they shrink. And it's like, I want my money back. For some reason, I don't know why, but at the same rate that my clothes are shrinking, my arms are getting shorter when I'm trying to read what's on my phone. My arms are too short. That's right. And your glasses, that again is another episode. I've only started wearing glasses in the last 12 months and I'm not happy about it. I hate them. And it's the same for me. I've only recently had to start wearing glasses. My optometrist, of course, says that I should have been wearing them for years, but we had an argument. I take them off when I look in the mirror and that helped. Confessionals, since we're on the confessionals, who among you does this? I step on the scales in the bathroom with the door lock by myself because nobody else is allowed to see what's going to come up on those scales. Naked, the first thing that happens when I step on the scales is I've got those fancy electronic ones. And the first thing that I that happens is they pipe up and say, uh, excuse me, madam, only one person at a time, please. <laughs> Firstly, I'm a man, I'm not a woman, just don't get it. When I step on those scales, I'm never happy with the first reading. (laughs) He wants a second opinion. (laughs) So I step off the scales and I step back on again and get another reading and tell me if this is you or if it's just me, whichever reading was the lower is the one I go with for that day. Because that's always the most accurate. I could quite often be seen taking the best of three. (laughs) It's multiple choice, really. And there's only one right answer. I actually, along those lines, when I've gone for a weigh-in at the various uh, weight loss programs that I've been on over the years, even if it's five degrees outside, I will wear a t-shirt and shorts and I will take off all manner of jewellery, which is usually just a watch, but that makes all the difference. It's a five kilo watch after all. It's true. I'm watch dysmorphic. When you're 15 to 18 to 20 kilos over the ideal weight for your height, jewellery doesn't matter. Clothes don't matter. Holding a whole extra small person in your arms doesn't matter. What matters is your satisfaction with the reading. My mum always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Okay, we're talking to Lisa Pollock, who is a professional nutritionist, and as I understand, also a vegetarian person and a chronically skinny person who makes us all sick on the Midlife Crisis Show because she seems to do it effortlessly. She's going to tell me it's not effortless. Good morning. Good morning, and you're right. Nothing is ever effortless for anybody, whether it's something that's come over a lifetime of making good choices or not, I think people end up being the way they are because it's something that they've taught themselves to do over a period of time. Lisa, can I ask you a a challenging question from the get-go? The topic today is fat, fabulous and funny. I always find that people who are a bit chubby are happier than those people who are not. And my theory is skinny people are angry because they're hungry. What do you think? Well, I can't agree with that. First of all, I think everybody makes assumptions when they talk about skinny people versus fat people. What do you classify as skinny and what do you classify as fat? I classify you as skinny and I classify me as fat. I have a fractious relationship with my mirror. Yeah, that's right. But I think, you know, our approach, how we look and how we feel can be very related, but it's not always. If we're having a really good, healthy lifestyle, we're maintaining a lot of exercise, we're eating nutritionally, therefore we're having a lot of energy, then I think generally you're going to be happy. That doesn't matter whether you're fat or skinny per se. That just matters as to what you're putting into yourself and therefore what you're getting out of it. 
Well, let's set aside for a moment the concept of being happy or not happy, because I think that's irrelevant to looking good. I I think there's a very high percentage of people who, no matter what they look like, are not entirely satisfied with their appearance. And I relate to that very, very well, because that just describes me. In fact, I was going to have some business cards printed with that. This is Elliot. He's not generally very happy with the way he looks. But uh, there seems to be several camps, and there's never just two camps, but several camps about whether it's about too much food, whether it's about the wrong food, or whether it's about a balance between food and exercise. Where do you sit as the professional nutritionist in those arguments? I think there's always a balance. I find that food is more important. Usually I would say 60 to 70% of what you're eating is more important on maintaining a healthy weight range than exercise. You still need exercise, of course, but you're looking at sort of like around 30 to 40% exercise versus 60 to 70%. I see people at the gym and I've, I've seen them for years and they've always, yep. always been quite overweight and that I know that they spend so much time at the gym and I, I always try to work out if you're investing so much of your life into exercise, why do you still look unhealthy and are still overweight? Well, because what they're eating probably when they walk out of that gym totally overrides as far as weight is concerned the exercise that they're doing and also one of the sort of odd things I guess about the gym is going to the gym in some respects can be like a fast food approach where I've gone to the gym I've done my exercise for the day I don't need to do anything else I can sit on a chair and do nothing I think if you're generally active and you're up and you're walking and you're doing things and having a healthy diet you're going to be much more effective in the way that you're going to look and feel than just having that quick fix at the gym for an hour, eating bad food and sitting and doing nothing for the rest of the day. You've just described my average weekend. I mean, five minutes on the treadmill, uh, walking while I'm playing with Facebook on my phone is equivalent to three Krispy Kreme donuts. There you go. that's the ratio I live by. So what am I doing wrong? Elliot was never good at maths. What are you doing wrong? All the things I just said. Number one, you're not having a healthy diet if you're living on Krispy Kremes, which... I don't believe you really are, but let's pretend that you are for a minute. And number two, yeah, you've had your time on the treadmill and you're exhausted for the rest of the day. You're not giving yourself the fuel that you need to have a lot of energy. And so, therefore, you're not having any more output. I mean, it goes back to that old-fashioned input versus output, and it still applies today. So, Lisa, are you a big fan of these uh, these wearables like the Fitbits where you can you put them on and they can track the number of steps and how you sleep and and all those different types of things? Look, I think they can be useful to a lot of people. A lot of people need to quantify what they're doing. So for them, I guess it is good to be able to see what you're doing. Sometimes I think we all get too hung up on what's our calorie intake, what exercise are we doing, how many steps, what have we burnt off, instead of just living life to its fullest, eating a healthy diet generally, not having to dwell on it all the time, and just being active and also not dwelling on that. So... I have no problems with people using those. They can be a useful tool, but I don't think we should rule our whole lives by them. When we talk about a healthy diet, we're, we're not really... I mean, people who are... Okay, let's call a spade a spade. People who love their food, like me, mm. Mm. listen to people saying healthy diet. And when I hear the words healthy diet, it's I think... blah, 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 blah. It's blah, blah. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think one lettuce leaf, uh, a, por- yeah. a, a sliver of carrot and a glass of water... And this is what somebody who needs to lose weight would be, would be having to eat. But it's not really like that, is it? It's, you can have a balanced diet with 
a lot of the stuff you like as long as you can watch the quantity or the volume. I think that's a really key point, actually. Um, quantity and volume, I think, today is something that across all the age groups that people struggle with its portion size. And as we've followed the trends from America over the years, our portion sizes in this country have become very large. And I think, yeah, as you said, if you're eating a wide range of fruits and vegetables, more on the vegetables, nuts and seeds, you're having your lean meat and different foods, if you can control the quantity that you're eating of those and make the vegetables your priority, then I think you are going to get a lot more out of it and things will, weight loss will begin for you without you having to focus on it all the time. Lisa, as someone who, like Elliot, has always struggled with his weight and quantity of food and type of food that I've eaten over the years, the greatest success I've found has been when I've had accountability. When I've had someone like you to go and see every week for the weigh-in, we haven't even talked about the torture that is a weigh-in, but that's another story. Accountability has been such a motivating factor that it's like, I've got a weigh-in at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning, and if I do this, if I eat that, if I don't eat this, et cetera, et cetera, I will be humiliated and I will have destroyed everything and, and lost face, et cetera, et cetera. Do you find that that is a big part of people's mindset? I think for a number of people that is, it becomes a fear factor of having to see someone and having to, as you said, have accountability for what you're actually doing. My ideal would be that people take charge of their own lives and within their own lives, I mean, what they're eating as well. So their physical being as well as their mental being. And if you need that kickstart, I guess, of accountability in the beginning, that's fine. But I think in the end, you'd like people to just change their lifestyle generally and not have to do something for a fear because that might be a good way to start, a good initial thing to do. But if you're only eating the way that you feel that you should or that you should out of fear and that doesn't change, then it's not going to be long-lasting be something that becomes a little bit more natural and something that you want to do. Well, that's actually a good point because I, I have this expression, once a fatty, always a fatty. Do you agree with that? <laughs> no, and you have to look at a really big picture, I guess. Yeah, my mirror's a very big picture. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you've got the uh, Snow White Cinderella mirror, have you? You've I really got to do. Be, you're no, waiting he, for it. He's got the one from, from <laughs> Luna Park that it's convex or concave, you know, that oh, one okay. of those. Yeah. Me too. I think sometimes people need, it's a good idea also to speak with counsellors and different people because often when people have always struggled with their weight and they have a particular perception of themselves, it goes far beyond only what they're eating. I think sometimes there can be a psychological component there and that needs to be addressed before you can get on top of the other. So what's more important, the nutritional plan or the psychological plan? I think it's probably a good 50-50. I think they work very well together and I don't think you can do one without the other. I think that's absolutely fair to say. If you haven't got your mind right uh, about your goals and your expectations, then you know no amount of uh, effort that you can throw at it is going to solve the problem long term. Yeah, but it's not only about your your goals. It's also about why do you need food for comfort, which is what a lot of people do. Why are people overeating and why are they eating the wrong food? And yes, our bodies might be designed to have an addiction to sugar, work more towards wanting to eat fat. They may feel more satiated with those products. But what's making them look for that in the first place? 
if you look at people you're talking about before about being angry or happy or all of that people that are really happy within their lives often at that time is when you don't have to concentrate as much on weight you'll find that you might lose a little bit of weight generally you might tend more towards eating sort of fresher healthier vegetables and lean meats and things and because there's other things that are going on in your life you're not dwelling on anything I think that there's sometimes there's reasons why we overeat. I remember someone saying to me once that, you know, they were quite large and they felt that part of the reason for being quite large is because they had a parent who always told them to lose weight. And so they felt like no one ever loved them unless they were big. They had to prove that they could be big and still be loved. Well, so I think there's always a lot of other issues that are involved with the way we look. And it's not always a matter of, oh, you know, I need to achieve my goals and I need to be a certain way it's like well what's feeding that in the first place what's what's making you maybe want to look a, a way that you don't think that you should or that in your childhood maybe food was used as a reward yeah that's right well this opens the doors to a, a completely different section of the uh of the discussion, which is the psychology of, of weight control or weight loss or weight gain. But I think in conclusion with Lisa Potok, professional nutritionist, it is fair to say that you are not anti-donut, you are anti-irresponsible donut. Mm. That's right. And she's an all-round skinny person, which makes it... All-round skinny person. That's right. And as I said, I wouldn't view myself as a skinny person. And as I said in the beginning, it's not something that just happened it's something that has been that I have taught to myself over a period of time and when you start to eat a certain way your habits change and that's the way you want to eat so my preferences are for the vegetables and the nuts and the seeds and the legumes and so that's why I am the way I am very sorry to hear that I'm very sorry to hear that you are now <laughs> intentionally and naturally leaning towards eating vegetables and that I think we need to get you some psychological assistance uh, and intervention as soon as possible and and you've basically destroyed all chances we had of Krispy Kreme Donuts sponsoring the midlife crisis show Lisa thank you very much how do you feel oh I'm quite happy about that to tell you the truth <laughs> Yes, matey, what can I do for you? I'd like a pizza, please. Yeah, yeah mate, what you like on it? Everything, thanks. Pizza with a lot. Salami, yeah, anchovies, yeah. spinach, cheese, endives, onions, capsicum, cabbage, cucumber, pineapple. Yeah, sounds great. Ham, yeah. chicken, corns. Yeah, yeah, everything, yeah. You did say everything, didn't you, mate? Pizza with a lot, yeah. Bread, walnuts, wheel nuts, steel build radials. Hang on, wait a minute, I just wanted a pizza. You know. said everything, I rocks, everything. kitchen yeah. sink, human hair, animal hair, broken glass, metal and nuclear waste, <laughs> mucus, tax, <laughs> rubber pairs, Raincoats, goats, fingernails, old hillpiece. <laughs> what are you laughing for, mate? Everyone loves balloons. Did you know that balloons are also one of the most successful ways to market your business or organisation? Be noticed. Call Quick Print Balloons to have your own logo professionally printed on the finest quality balloons. We ship all over the country. Check out quickprintballoons.com.au. So we're speaking to Alex. So, Alex, you are a man of middle years, shall we say. Tell yes. us, the, the subject of the show today is fat, fabulous and funny. Which of those relate to you? If I look at my body image, I'd have to always say fat is um, how I perceive myself. Fabulous is a given. And <laughs> um, funny, I think I try too hard. Were you, like I, 
uh, skinny and uh, and well-built guy as a young man? As my father would say, a skinny kachki. Okay, au contraire, um, which I think is the root of my problems. The root of your problems oh, is that you try and speak French too much? <laughs> well, that's true too. So, the, on the contrary, I was an overweight teenager, so it left me with an ongoing insecurity about my uh, personal image of my uh, weight problems. And I saw, as I was growing up, these many young, skinny studs. Um, and I always sat in the um, shadow of those individuals and uh, wondering about my own self. But now I see many of them in, who are, I don't know if they're fabulous and funny, but they're definitely fat. So they've gone to seed is what you're saying? Yes. So I try to um, compensate for the insecurity of youth through maintaining a regimen of exercise and healthy living, all of which comes to naught. Well, tell me about that. What what do you do physically? Are you like me, where you'll do five minutes on the treadmill and then go to McDonald's to reward yourself? But you you walk to McDonald's, Elliot, and that counts as well. Well, yeah, you've got to put that for your steps, uh, Elliot. They do count for the steps. Well, one step per French fry. <laughs> That's right. Well, no, it's the 10,000 steps that you've got to do a day, so I'm sure that they do count. I've actually got one of those Fitbits, and I often do... My, actually, my target is 12,000 steps, and I often feel completely bloated at the end of a day when I've uh, done my 12, 13, 14, 15,000 steps because I've stuffed myself silly, and it's like, it doesn't. it's not supposed to work this way. I'm supposed to feel skinny because I've been fabulous and done my steps. I think, as we've just had our previous uh, caller is a nutritionist and she said 60-70% of it is food and it's like I hate that can't we turn it around we should start a movement where we should turn it around I will be frank with you I don't think I've been in a McDonald's or a KFC or any of these places I don't even remember the last time I've uh, been there yeah we're just we're just joking ourselves we we never go there either okay never Oh, okay, I get it. I get it. That was only a uh, subterfuge. It was a, it was a metaphor. Them, um, it was a metaphor. Yeah. Au contraire. <laughs> <laughs> so what do I try to do? I think that was your question, Elliot. I, I would exercise four or five times a week. What, what do you do? Um, do you go to the gym or do you do you run? I do a mixture of things. So I do jog. I was very pleased with myself. Two years ago, I completed a half marathon. You know you've got to um, do more exercise than, than two years ago, Alex. That was the height. Since then, it's only uh, 10K uh, two, three times a week I'll do. That's actually not a... I mean, 10K three times a week? I think that's... And and you're thinking that this is easing off a little bit? You realise he's driving. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a skateboard behind the bus of uh, the car as I pull me along. That is very impressive, Alex. And I go... Like, I was was flying down to Melbourne on Thursday and I got up at 6 o'clock. And I thought, I've got to get to the flight, I've got to do this. I said, I've got this window of opportunity. And the gym's up the road, so I decided I'll go to the cycle class. So I got in there, got in there five minutes late because the class was at 6.15. I got there at 6.20 and I had to leave because I had to get to the flight. So I thought I did half an hour on the bike. So that actually made me feel very good for the rest of the day because I made the effort to go out. It was only a half an hour, but I schwitzed. I still worked out good exercise. So it set me up well. But then I'm in Melbourne and then I don't exercise the next day and then I feel guilty. So I do try to maintain things. But where my weakness is, going back to you, you said about nutritionists, I eat too much. I don't eat rubbish, but I just eat too much. And I'm not a good controller. So for you, it's about volume and quantity, not necessarily about what you're eating. Correct. Correct. Absolutely.
absolutely. You know, would, would you and, classify yourself as somebody who you think is a little overweight, or do you are you sort of middle of the road? Are you pretty happy with your? your, your no, I always think of myself overweight. My common question every time I see how how can I put this as so it's politically correct? So you're a big fat big fat porker, basically. <coughs> basically, but every time I'm in the street, I'm with one of the kids, and I see a what is it a BFP? I go, is that how I look? And they go, is, yes, it, is that a big fat person? Yes, so a big, oh, big, big fat porker. Terminology, oh, big, big fat, fat porker. porker. Right, okay. It gives me the insecurity about how my image is, and I think, am I anywhere near that? So I can't see myself as a, I'm nowhere near a slim person. Am I an obese person? No, but my body image is obese. So we were talking before about the sucking in of the, oh, expelling the breath while you're on the weight. I go in on a, on the scale, intimidated by what I'm about to see. But for the last forty years, my weight's basically within three or four kilos, always been the same. Now that's interesting because we've had a couple of people touch on the emotional aspects of weight control, weight loss, weight gain, or body image, and and how it's uh, affected by your overall happiness in general, or how it then conversely affects your happiness in general. What's interesting. Uh, is that the one word that keeps coming back, or two words that keep coming back in this conversation, are guilt and fear. The fear of stepping on scales, which is when we were talking earlier about the fear of the accountability when you haven't done the right thing, and the guilt when your fears are realised. And some people are talking about this as if it's a negative thing, fear and guilt in weight loss or in weight control, Whereas I would tend to think that there's actually something there in the positive. The reason that I think that is that fear and guilt seems to have been working for religion for millennia. Why is it that it wouldn't work for weight loss or weight control now? But you don't see someone who's fearful and guilty smiling or happy or having fun. Now, I know that might sound a bit trite, but isn't life, the foundation of life, actually having a happy life? And I think those elements you've just mentioned, Elliot, I don't think they're necessarily going to put you in a good stead to have a happy life. Probably not. Alex, you're not necessarily 100% happy with your current body image. Are you happy with your life? Yeah, no, no. I, uh, I think one needs to compartmentalise issues in life. And I, don't, I think that you need to be able to say, well, I'm happy here, I'm not happy there. So generally, how would I express myself? I'm happy. I think the maturity of age, as you're saying now, where we're at, you look at yourself at a macro position and you're happy. Then you'll look at the micro issues that are part of that and they're saying, well, what about my weight and my body image and how does that impact on me? And there's nothing happier than when you feel oh, people saying, oh, you, you look slimmer. You know, what have you done to lose weight? And then think, so you feel good. And there's almost an endorphin effect in that that you're feeling good not from the validation of others but from the validation of yourself you know that I've got control on that so then it jumps into the thing is is it a control issue do you want to control your weight because you want to control your desires or your that you've got control over yourself so I think it's driven by image driven by an ability to say I can control. Now, when I'm eating and sometimes I'll go through a tub of ice cream, not not a whole tub, but four or five scoops or something, then I feel guilty afterwards. But then I'm in so sated. So going back to your point before, Peter, to sort of say, well, are you unhappy? Well, does that make you, is it a bad way to live? Well, no. I've, 
had the ice cream. I'm feeling really good. And I go, I feel guilty. And I go, ah, I'm guilty. What can I do? I'll go for a run tomorrow. That's actually a really good point because this is why the beauty of the midlife crisis show, because it's like we all have crises on a daily basis. But I guess with the advantage of age and maturity and experience is that we can look at it in totality, as you said, Alex, and say, on balance and in totality, I'm pretty happy. So yes, I might have a crisis about my weight or about... It's interesting what you were saying before. I was at the gym this morning because I'm an athlete, as you know. And Absolutely. I, <laughs> and it's obvious. Um, and I was talking to two other men of middle years and we were complaining, oh, my sore knee and this is hurting and that hurting. And, I, and they were saying, I wonder why. And it's like, guys, it's age. Simple as that. The truth is we were not, as a species, designed to live as long as we already have. And... You would, I mean, when you've got a car that is way past its uh, expected life expectancy in, in terms of its usefulness, and you wonder why it's got a bit of rust or why it's got a bit of uh, lacklustre on the paintwork, the truth is because it wasn't really designed to live that long in the first place, and we're probably no different. It seems to me that you're quite a happy guy and that you put some of that down to the fact that your years and maturity has led you to take a step back and look at the big picture, whereas some of us probably just let age and maturity lead us to having given up after having tried everything and uh, just be completely satisfied with whatever we've got because it ain't going to get any better. So I guess the key learning, Alex, is that we're all big fat porkers and we're happy with it. I was thinking upon the point you're saying, Elliot, I entirely agree, but how much admiration do you have for a vintage car that you see out there that some owner has lovingly tended to and it's gleaming and you go, wow, look at that. You know, it's meant to be in the car heap yard but it's been looked after. And I think it's as we're seeing with the with our kids, you know, like we've all got kids who are in their 20s or something like that and you then see the anxiety or the issues they go through and everything's so important and you sort of think the maturity given you, it ain't that important. Um, we've all got the same exit strategy. Exactly. I mean, and, and the maturity gives you that. And I look at it, and again, not obsessive. I see some of these people at our age who they're obsessive about what they do. They're going to do this. They push themselves. They can do this marathon. They can do. And I worry. I worry. Are they going to drop over the drop dead or something? Pushing too hard. So I'm very pleased to go around. I get knocked by all my mates. Ah, oh, you're sitting out running this morning. You're doing your shuffle, your quick young shuffle, and I go. I'm still out there. That's what's important to me because having given up on the drive, the ambition, the um, midlife crisis, you're still going there until you reach to the next stage and you go, eh, what's next? So um, I think keeping yourself positive all the time. And I think a lot of the problem with a lot of people out there is they're not positive about what's going on. Well, I love the car metaphor because you look at, you're quite right. You know, you look at a, a really, really well kept vintage car and, and you salute the discipline that's involved in having maintained that to its uh, condition way beyond its years. And, and I think we're probably not that uh, different. When you see somebody of, uh, and how shall we describe it, somebody who's got less years in front than behind, who's trim and taut and terrific and, and generally pretty happy, and you salute the discipline that they must have demonstrated in order to reach that position. So you, you're quite right. And I think as humans, we're social creatures and we crave acceptance and I don't know whether it necessarily has to come from anywhere in particular, whether people are accepting of us because of the way we look or the, the way that we behave or how happy we are. Uh, one way or another, if we feel like we're accepted by our peers, 
then we're comfortable with whatever the scenario is that got us there. I, I think that's um, a good point. And I think also the maturity of the midlife crisis um, gives you the ability to look, well, where does your validation come from? At the end of the day, the validation has got to come from within and the journey of youth is working out, well, where does that validation source from? I've got a good balance in my life because, again, if you're obsessive about polishing every aspect of that car, you're not going to enjoy the car. You've got to enjoy the journey, the life, the experience and the company to get the validation from within. But I think part of that at a personal level as I said, it's the insecurity of self-image that means that there's something always to work on. So the journey's not yet over, even though we're now mid-life crisis and fat and still fabulous. Well, there it is, Nate. And you're bringing about almost a perfect conclusion to this segment, uh, which is something that we often say here on the show, and that is that it is not about the destination. It's about the journey and enjoying it along the way. And so I think that's, that's a really good way to wrap it up. Okay. Because basically you've talked too much. Take care, guys. Now, here comes the music. I'm too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave me. Cat. I'm too sexy for 
If you need a dynamic and effective new website or to communicate with your customers using a variety of digital tools, call Interactive Investor. Household name clients like Westfield Group, Telstra and the Australian World Orchestra trust us to help them with their digital communication needs and you can too. Call us on 02-9252-6696 or just go to www.interactiveinvestor.com.au to find out more. What's the matter? I have a headache. It might be a tumour. It's not a tumour. I actually, one of the things I like is that when one loses weight, as one does when, when uh, one is more disciplined and focused, you still feel fat. Or is it just me? I just find that if I've, if I've dropped 10 or 15 kilos, which I've done on, on a regular basis, and the clothes feel better, the scale looks better, but I still feel that I'm a big fat porker. I think that's probably just a matter of what one gets used to. Well, it's like when you have, a, have a, a, an arm or a leg amputated, you still feel it there for, some, for several months. Yeah, I mean, look, that's a psychological thing. I was watching, quite appropriately, uh, many years ago, an episode of the Richard Simmons show. Remember Richard Simmons? I do, the little guy with the curly hair. Yeah, and he, um, he was all about weight control and feeling good about yourself and being positive. And Isn't he going through a sex change? Didn't I read that somewhere? <laughs> did you? I did. That's one way to lose weight. That was the, uh, the Harvard Business Review. The Harvard, you read the Harvard Business Review? Richard Simmons, uh, gender changes in the Harvard Business Review? You wouldn't have thought that, would you? That was my second question. Richard Simmons used to do this show where he did a lot of aerobic exercise and a lot of feel-good stuff, but then he would also have this nutritional cooking segment in the kitchen about preparing something that was yummy but at the same time good for you and helping you with your weight loss. He pulled a fellow, which is fairly rare, out of the audience because it was usually women, and he was a, he was a big fat porker, right? BFP. And he took him into the kitchen and they were cooking... Uh, some kind of an Italian dish and this guy seemed to know exactly how to saute the tomatoes out of the can exactly right and he said to him uh, you seem to know what you're doing with this are you by any chance Italian and he said no but I used to be which I thought was kind of an interesting thing because he was so used to being Italian but he was like obviously now a naturalized American or a citizen or whatever but he, you know wouldn't you think I'm always Italian. I guess it depends what you what's important to you. It's like we were talking before about once a fatty, always a fatty. Some people are cured of being Italian or being fat or being a fat Italian. But then they feel like they might still be like you yeah. when you're skinny. That's right. Feeling like you're still a porker. Or Italian. Maybe we need there's some kind of weight loss of the mind. At what stage have you lost enough? How many people have eating disorders that they look in the mirror and while they're a size six actually still think they're too big that's right and continue starving themselves we can make light of weight issues weight control issues or heavy but there are some serious you know there are some serious problems there are people out there who have got issues in both directions some people who have eating disorders where they're too thin and they continue to get thinner other people who are super morbidly obese and continue to get that way both are dangerous to one's health and well-being in general it's the you know those of us who walk the middle road who probably bitch and complain a little too much about our dissatisfaction with being at the outer upper end of the normal spectrum 
mm, of, right. of weight. We're actually very, very lucky where we are, where we have the choice. If we have the discipline, we have the determination and focus, we can change so much. There are a lot of people around the world who don't have that, and I guess we can be veering off into other subjects here. But if we're sticking to weight gain and loss, it really does come, and you can buy any manner of book or program, but we all know the same thing. You eat less, you exercise more. It's true, and as evidenced by the fact that we have one of the biggest industries in the world, which is the weight loss industry. And it's everything from your exercise machines and your gym memberships and your personal trainers and all the intangibles, services, if you like. Uh, Then you've got the accountability uh, sector, which are people like, and you know, we've got to, you know, drop a few names here, but there's your Weight Watchers and your Jenny Craigs and your, you know, these sorts of people who who are combining things like exercise, psychology and accountability and uh, food control and calorie counting and nutrition all as part of an over uh, kind of a holistic approach to weight control. Uh, Then you've got the ones who just sell the food. I mean, I'm, for instance, on Light and Easy. Light and Easy, you, you pick your menu off the web, they deliver the food on a Friday. It's all, you know, frozen and packaged and whatever, ready to go, calorie counted. Uh, it's not that fabulous tasting. It's not gourmet stuff. Uh, but it, it just takes the guesswork and the work out of it. It does. It's, it's affordable and it works because if you stick to the program and there, therein lies the discipline issue, you know, you will lose weight. Is it because the food is... Uh, a better nutritional value? Is it a better quality than fresh food? No, it's not. It's about the fact that it's portion size controlled uh, and, you know, you eat less, you, you lose weight. It's well, that simple. It's the same with any program. Well, most, I shouldn't say any, but most programs, most programs will work. You just have to stick to it. That's exactly right. It, you know, people go on about carbs. I'm going to eat less carbs. People go on about protein. I'm going to eat more protein. I'm going to sort of increase the value of the, the component of protein in my diet, and that'll do it. There's those that say, well, it's all about exercise. I'm going to do more exercise, and that'll do it. Then it's about the people who have procedures. You know, you might have liposuction, or you might have a gastric surgery, and that will do it. There's a guy out there at the moment who is on a 100% potato diet, and this has been documented on <laughs> on, on current affair and so forth for 12 months. It must months. be true if it's on a current affair. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's eaten nothing but potatoes with accoutrement for uh, flavour, a little bit of a shake of this or a squirt of that, with nothing but potatoes for the last 12 months. And he's not only lost weight, but he's fitter and healthier than he's ever been in his life. And the strange thing about it is that there is evidence to support his claim that you can get almost all the nutritional supplemental value that you need out of just eating potatoes and a few other veggies then anything else he doesn't eat steak he doesn't eat desserts he doesn't eat ice cream he's not a big fan of dairy and yet he seems to have survived and thrived and done quite well losing weight and yet there are others who will say oh my god potatoes are the worst thing you can eat because they're so rich in carbs and starch Starch, and uh, and these are the things that put weight on the truth is if you're doing it for fitness if you're doing a balance of fitness cardio and and lifting exercise and whatever and a good balanced diet and cutting out snacking and all of those sorts of any of these things will work as long as you're in it for the long game for the end game and that's the hardest part at the end of the day it can work for four or five or six days the truth is it's not about what you do it's about the discipline that you apply to doing it and doing it and doing it. Well, I guess it comes back to it's not about what you do, it's what you think. And eventually, you don't have to think 
you do just because of what you initially decided to think. As the leading event company for school formals Australia-wide, Prom Night Events have the biggest list of luxury inclusions and venues on offer. This is the formal, there's no second chance. Letting Prom Night Events do all the work for you costs less than it would to do it all yourself. They've put more students into more school formals at more Sydney venues for more years than anyone else. Prom Night Events, school formal, problem solved. Go to prom.com.au. Have we helped anybody with what we've discussed today? I think we have. And I think we've helped ourselves. In fact, we're going to get, go have some more cake and really help ourselves to a lot of cake. Is that the wrong attitude? No. Let's have cake. Let them eat cake. <laughs> Let us eat cake. All right, so we're going off to Krispy Kreme now to get breakfast, lunch and dinner. The Midlife Crisis Show. And good night. Good night. <laughs>